This is Doug Thompson of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette newspaper, and we are going to be talking today to Republican political consultant J.R. Davis and Democratic uh, campaign consultant Dustin Seaton. And we're going to be talking about how does one run a campaign for political office when you can't knock doors, you can't shake hands, you can't kiss babies, you can't have a meet and greet. How do you run during a pandemic is the subject of today's podcast. All right. Uh, J.R. Davis, and I am a partner with Elmore Strategy Group uh, in Little Rock. Dustin, your turn. Uh, Dustin Seaton. I'm the campaign manager for uh, Denise Gardner's state representative campaign, and I own a political consulting company on my own. Okay. Gentlemen, to the best of my historical reading, there hasn't been an American political campaign during a pandemic since 1920. Um, so we are literally in a once-in-a-lifetime, hopefully, once-in-a-lifetime election year um, phenomenon. Um, how does someone campaign in a year when you when there's no meet and greets, no knocking on, not very limited knocking on doors such as that? Um, how is it done? Who wants to take well, that first? Sure, I mean I'll. Uh... I'll start. I think that, you know, kind of rules of engagement, if you will, are kind of out the window at this point. Uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a new world we're living in. And uh, quite frankly, uh, I am glad. I think we were fortunate to kind of get through the primary uh, when we did before all this took place. Um, so right now, I think a lot of our candidates uh, and our firm as a whole is just sort of taking stock of kind of where we are, uh, where do we expect the things to be, if anyone can actually predict that at this point, uh, you know, in, in August, September, um, and then kind of working towards that end. But it, it certainly makes things more difficult. We look at sort of the two, uh, you know, big drivers of any campaign when you're starting uh, to plan one out, and that is one, fundraising, uh, and the other is obviously getting that voter data so you can you know, do the walk list, you can knock on the doors. Both of those are uh, you know, being jeopardized greatly by the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, one is it's hard to fundraise uh, in the middle of an you know, economic uh, mm-hmm. you know, disaster where mm-hmm. basically the economy stopped overnight. People are worried about, you know, what the next couple of months are going to be like. So how do you how do you fundraise? Uh, you also can't host events. Uh, it's more difficult to do that. Obviously, with the uh, directives coming from the Department of Health and the governor's office. And then, of course, knocking on doors is, I'm afraid, uh, probably a thing of the past. I think you saw it nationally, mm. maybe some more populated states that was kind of going to the wayside. Arkansas was still a mainstay. Uh, mm. I think this has exacerbated, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the end of door to door, if you will. So it's interesting um, how something you've relied on for so long has kind of been taken away and you're having to uh, go back and rethink things a little bit. Yeah, I can piggyback off that too. Fundraising is usually something we really stress for candidates in the, in the spring 
going into the summer before the dry months of June, July, and August. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And right now, nobody has that extra capital where they're like, yeah, sure, let's donate to candidates. People are worried about their paychecks, their job, food on the table. They're not worried about who gets elected to county or state government at this point. It's an so that's, that's yeah. been big hard. Yeah, it's and I think you're right. I mean, I, yeah, go ahead, Doug. No, no, please, you go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, and I think now what you're seeing when we talk to our candidates, uh, and we've got some really great candidates uh, who aren't afraid to, you know, do the work, and 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 we're kind of funny. A lot of new new candidates that had never run for office before that kind of learned how to up to the primary, and now are having to learn a completely different way mm-hmm. of uh, of running a campaign. So that's kind of an interesting note, but. Um, it's really now kind of relying on you know, heavily relying on the digital side of things. You know, mail is such uh, a critical piece even now um, uh, in the middle of this pandemic, but you got to find a way to fundraise. And so that's where I think those kind of personal networks, you know, we all have different networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, candidates know different people, maybe, uh, you know, at different levels, maybe they're close friends, maybe they're acquaintance, but they all have different networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, but now more than ever, it, it's important to tap into those networks, you know, via phone, text message, uh, if you're writing a donor letter, things just to let people know that, hey, I'm still running uh, and I still need your support. You know, you helped me get this far. Uh, and so, so digital, mail, you know, keeping up with those relationships. To me, that's sort of the center point of really any uh, local legislative race at this point, at least until we kind of see where we are uh, by the next cycle. Yeah, and along those same lines, it's it's not traditional in terms of what we consider political discourse. Previously, in past election years, you can easily not demonize the other side, but make it a, a right versus wrong, or you mm-hmm. know, uh, this this is better than that. Uh, right now, it's not a not no one really has an appetite for bi- or that partisanship, that hyper partisanship, where we're trying to get a leg up. Uh, people want to see our leaders work together. And so that's really changed the dynamic of how a campaign can uh, position themselves in, in the eyes of the public. Yeah. I mean, I, that, I can, I'll put it this way. Is there any other issue to campaign on these days that people care about other than, you know, I may, I'm stuck at home. I may have lost my job. I'm worried about my, you know, a relative who's in a or myself who's in a um, medically fragile state sure i mean seriously it, it's it's sort yeah. of like um um it overshadows to say the least all other issues at this time it has to be no you're exactly right doug it has to be you know related to what is affecting people's life the mm-hmm. most at the moment and that's obviously covid now look you look at the economy there's a lot of sectors that are hurting but it's not your typical recession or depression. I mean, this was mm. something that overnight we basically, you know, took the keys out of the engine of the economy and just shut it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but really, for you know specific aspects, you know, the travel industry, hospitality, uh, you know, restaurants, things like that, are obviously taking a huge hit mm-hmm. um, during this time. But really, for the first time, you know, you're having constituents right here in Arkansas who are reaching out to their legislator. Uh, reaching out to the governor's office with questions that they've never had to ask before. And so this campaign, it, it has to be about, you have to be able to show as a candidate why why someone needs to, why a voter needs to trust you 
you know, at the Capitol, how are you going to help them? How are you going to communicate with them? You know, what experience do you have that will help them in a situation down the line where, hey, we don't know how long this is going to last. Maybe it does go into November. Maybe it does go into, you know, the the next election cycle. Mm -hmm. So people are really going to be focused on, I believe, as we get closer to the camp, uh, to the election day, on who are these individuals and how does their experience and communication skills match up with what we're currently going through. And I think you're going to see that more often in this cycle than ever before, because there's, there's just sort of a dominating, you know, subject of conversation. And, uh, and so I think, you know, that's going to be sort of the focus. The problem is when we talk about fundraising, um, that's important, but really Doug, I think you nailed it, you know, with all of this going on with the coronavirus and will schools be open in the fall? Will they not be open in the fall? When will restaurants be at full capacity, et cetera, et cetera. It's hard to kind of cut through that clutter and remind people that there is an actual election happening uh, just a few short months from now. So, you know, there's just a lot of obstacles right now that I think candidates face, Mm -hmm. but they've got to do a good job of showing the voter that they're prepared for moments like these because voters now more than ever realize that their their communication conduit are these legislators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and along the same lines, you said, what issues can we campaign on, can we talk about? The incumbents have the advantage of disseminating information. They're disseminating on both sides of the aisle. You see them showing mm-hmm. information that the governor's putting out in the daily press conferences things like that where it is you're going for trustworthy news where you're going to people that you know on a local level to to get accurate information but on on the flip side one issue that i I know that a lot of uh, democratic candidates are are pushing for is the protecting of the ballot or absentee ballot as an option for the november election Mm -hmm. just because we 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 have to make sure that we ensure there is a plan in place should this um, awful disease virus rear its head again in the fall or, or come roaring back in, in some shape, way, or form in a second or third wave by then. That we want to make sure that people still have an option to vote because that's one of those sacred aspects of our democracy. Okay. Yeah, and I and I think that you know I don't think Republicans are opposed to that uh, mm-hmm. at all. I think that we do have to. I think what we've seen so far in you know, since March, basically, where our world's kind of got turned upside down, is there's been a there's been sort of a knee-jerk reaction to a lot of things um, without much thought going into them. And I think we can point directly to Congress and the CARES Act that came through uh, relatively quickly. There were some, you know, they had to hammer out some details. But what we've kind of seen from that is, you know, the unemployment benefits have kind of deterred workers from actually going back to their place of employment, number one, right? Uh, Number two, people all across uh, the financial uh, you know, sectors have received these $1,200 checks from the government that may not have necessarily needed those checks. So it's just, I, I say all that to say that there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions. There's a lot of good thoughts and good ideas that we need to explore, but we have to do it in a way that, you know, as you pointed out, a way to protect the ballot box. So, you know, you saw Governor Hutchinson issue an executive order uh, towards the end of March for the runoff that had no excuse absentee uh, uh, ballot voting, which basically said, hey, you're able to do this as a way to stay away from, you know, uh, the polls to protect yourself, public safety. I think you may see something like that uh, in November, possibly dependent upon 
where we are if this if we do see a resurgence. Um, but I also think we have to be mindful of what all this takes as far as mailing out absentee uh, uh, ballots to every registered voter in Arkansas, making sure those those um, registered voter uh, rolls are up to date, mm-hmm. that we're getting them to all those individuals, and that we're able to get those back without any sort of fraud happening. I'm not one of those people who believes that, you know, there's massive fraud at the polls as they are now, but I do see an opportunity uh, for fraud with these absentee uh, ballots in, you know, when you're talking about such a large quantity. You know what I mean? Okay, I, I think Doug, was, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I'm going to put... Well, I mean, there was... Go ahead. Yeah. Dustin, you want to respond to that or... Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think protecting the ballot in all shapes, ways, forms is important for members on both sides of the aisle, I, I think the big dis- discussion on our side would be mm-hmm. why wait and have this discussion in the fall? Why are we not looking at proactive ways now mm-hmm. uh, educating with our County clerks? I mean, I've called the County clerk and the secretary oh, yeah. of state's office multiple times, just asking basic questions. And I've gotten kind of conflicting or differing answers. And I'm like, there's not, they're not on the same page now. And, and that's a concern that I have as an Arkansan. And I know Arkansan across the, the state would have that same concern, especially as it gets closer to the fall of as a diabetic. Absolutely. I have yeah. a fear of going to the ballot. I, I have a comorbidity, but I yet I've never missed an election. So I don't I want to know what options I have. And well, my county I'm, clerk office has said, ahead. you know, we, we're not 100 percent sure what what the law is or what what is allowable uh, for the November election. Well, well think, gentlemen, too, let's let's the... let's get back to campaigning as opposed to election security. And I'm going to put Dustin on the spot. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. Um, Dustin, you manage the campaign of Representative Denise Garner, who, of course, in the, in the last election cycle, unseated an incumbent. Okay? Always a difficult task. Yeah. Could Denise, yeah, could Denise have won that race under these conditions? Well, I, I, obviously, we have the... The reflection of hindsight being 2020 right now, no pun intended there, but yeah. we in, in 2018, we were able to do over 25 neighborhood kind, kind of town hall events mm-hmm. where we, would, we were invited into people's homes. We sent out um, invitations to members of all sides of the of political spectrum just to come and ask questions. It was all about accessibility. It was about communication. Uh, we, we knocked on everyone's door in the, in the neighborhood or in the mm-hmm. district. And so things like that as as JR said, are kind of a thing of the past. No one's opening their home to mm-hmm. allowing people to come in and uh, invite neighbors and whatnot as much as we want to. We just, there's that secure or that fear of, of the spreading of the disease. Knocking on the door, we, nobody wants to get a stranger knocking on their door right now and passing out uh, paraphernalia. Mm-hmm. So obviously our tactic for what we focused in 2018 would be completely different in 2020. Mm-hmm. I think at the fundamental value though it came down to and i think jr even said it which candidate do you trust and mm-hmm. yeah people in district 84 routinely said we just we don't feel like our current our representative at the time was listening to us was trusting and reading the data mm-hmm. um r- ramrodding bills without actually having a thorough um, investigation and in, uh, public a debate about and that w- that came up over and over and over again and denise was there to say i don't care what side of the aisle you are i'll listen and she she demonstrated that and i think that showed it in the polls overwhelmingly in the 2018 election 
JR, you, I think it was you who mentioned earlier that um, uh, incumbents right now are, are covered up, frankly, with uh, constituency service. I know everyone mm-hmm. I've talked to has talked about they're, they're trying to help people with their unemployment applications. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As you mentioned, uh, people who've never had to fill out an application for unemployment benefits before in their lives are suddenly having to do this, and they're turning to their local legislators for help. So is this all an advantage for incumbents, or is everybody mad at their state representative now? What do you think? I'll put it this way. I think it's an opportunity for incumbents. Okay. Um, I certainly think there's an advantage being an incumbent on you know in any election cycle. Uh, you know, Obviously, it's going to be tougher to get a challenger's name and record and, uh, you know, platform out there uh, without being able to you know, knock doors and meet people but also think incumbents you know there's there's an opportunity here for them to engage with constituents they've really never engaged with before mm-hmm. because there's you know everyone is being affected i mean you've got parents wanting to know about what's happening with their schools you've got um uh you know uh, truly, I mean, this is like a sports stand wanting to know if we're going to have a football season. You know, you've mm-hmm. got people wondering when they can actually go out to dinner or is it safe to go out to dinner? Can they take their kid to the park? There's all these questions that they've never had to ask before. And they now, you know, know that they're going to go to their legislator. They've figured out who it is, the number to call, and they're asking these questions of them. And so it's their opportunity to be as responsive as possible and to help answer those questions as as quickly and uh, and as substantively as possible um, to earn that constituent's trust for the next cycle. If they fail to do that, you know, I think that's going to anger the constituent and they're going to look for change. So I certainly think there's an advantage for an incumbent, but I would say it's more of an opportunity uh, for them to strengthen uh, their standing in their district and community uh, or to, you know, weaken that as a result of how they communicate with their constituents. Dustin, what do you think about that? Yeah, hands down, incumbents have the advantage going into the 2020 election just because of the fundraising power S that incumbents have. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've looked at campaign contribution reports on the sector state's website, and incumbents don't necessarily have to worry about dialing for dollars as as hard as the challengers do. Mm -hmm. And it's not fair, but it's just the way the system currently works. So that fundraising advantage already gives incumbents a huge leg up. But on the flip side, incumbents also have to make sure that they're appropriately responding uh, appropriately in, in, a, in a timely manner to constituents' concerns. Because as JR said, they're, they're worried about their jobs, their paychecks, their food on the table, um, what's education going to look like in the fall. And they want to know these things uh, for their own livelihood and, and survival. And if, a, if the incumbent's not responding appropriately or timely, that could have some severe blowback. Okay. Yeah. And that, I mean, Doug, yeah, go ahead. Minor, just, just as an example, um, I know Dustin's probably come across this, uh, Doug, you probably have too, but just take a look at this constituency for a moment with, you know, uh, basically beauticians, you know, salon owners, you know, hairstylists, manicurists, whatever, so on and so forth. For the first time in probably their careers, their jobs, salary livelihoods were interrupted by something that the state government was enforcing. Mm-hmm. And and so for the first time in their lives, they're trying to find answers and asking questions. They just need some sort of 
communication, right? With Little Rock basically saying, what, what am I, what are you hearing? When do you think we'll be able to open? What are we going to have to do when we reopen? Mm-hmm. All of those sorts of things. That's one aspect of our economy that has never really had to deal with state government before that is now having to do so. And so when you talk about these legislators, they have to deal with emails and phone calls on a daily basis. That's like times 20 now, right? Because you have all these new constituents asking questions for the first time. And so I do think it's something that, you know, while they, while I agree completely, they have the advantage. They, they also are kind of, you know, the light shining brightly on them at this point. uh, And, and they're, they're having to respond. And I do think you're going to see some that strengthen their, their standing and others who, may end up losing uh, as an incumbent just because of this current situation. And, and again, I think that's probably not going to be that many, uh, but I do think there's an opportunity for that. So it's certainly something interesting to watch. Okay. So this is basically a, if I'm hearing you right, a test they need to pass, you know, absolutely to, to get reelected. Okay. I'm going to point out the um, bit of a cruel dilemma, though. People are calling them up asking for answers, and it seems like, you know, the definite answers needed are hard to come by. You know, when is this going to end? When is, when will mm-hmm. things get back to normal? I mean, there's a big ins- uncertainty factor, and I think, yeah. you know, at least legislators I've talked to have been pretty honest about that. Well, and that's a good point. I, I wouldn't want to say that they have to have the answers in order to pass this test. Right. Uh, it, it's more of sort of, you know, it's more of a, the essay portion, right? Yeah. Uh, where okay. you just need to be available and, and communicate. And it's okay if you don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just basically saying, if Doug, if you call me and you're asking when this is going to open or what am I hearing about, you know, the Buffalo River? I mean, it's just sim- simply being able to say, listen, I'm going to try to track that down. Just bear with us. This is an unprecedented event. Uh, we're doing everything we can to get you the answers as quickly as possible, as soon as we have them. But we, you know, so just bear with me. It's just sort of having that communication, that open line of communication where constituent A knows that they can call you or email you and they're going to get a, a, a response in a reasonable amount of time. And I think that's how you pass that test. But it just you just have to have that communication yeah. uh, with your constituents during this. Okay. And we see that on social media, uh, candidates on both sides are are sharing valuable, you know, reliable information. And I want to congratulate the governor. I, I know my mom is a lifelong Democrat and tunes in every day mm-hmm. uh, to the governor's press conferences and has complete faith that the governor's doing what he thinks is best for all of Arkansas, even even though it looks differently in Northwest as North Central or Southeast or Southwest. Uh, he's doing what we think is best for the state, especially listening to the experts. And I think that's kind of the message that candidates need to be going into the fall is that we need to be looking, regardless of party, mm-hmm. we need to be looking to the experts to, to make these decisions and not go with gut or emotion. Okay. Uh, that, that, that reminds me of something I should have asked earlier. Across the state, is there any regional differences? You see what I'm saying? I mean, does a does, does is are we all in the same boat, or does a uh, representative in Bentonville have different challenges from a representative in Warren? Anybody want to speculate on that? I, I mean, I absolutely. Uh, I think the answer is yes. Okay. Especially, you know, what I mentioned earlier was, you know, the hospitality industry, mm-hmm. uh, the tourism industry. 
uh, you know, the w- when you get into a city like Little Rock, which I think has been one of the uh, most affected areas uh, in the state, and I would also say Northwest Arkansas as well, with, with the I-49 kind of corridor up there with all the different cities, but the more population centers, you're going to see these restaurants that are closed, uh, the bars, the entertainment venues that are shut down. Um, I, I think that you're you're seeing there, there's just more of a population that you know they're mm-hmm. that work in those sectors, so you see a, a pretty drastic effect there. Um, but then I think when you get into you know southern Arkansas, you know it's more rural. Uh, I think you know maybe the question there uh, maybe turns a little bit more to. Now, what are we going to do about school next year? Mm, uh, you mm-hmm. know, what about? Now, there's uh, the elephant right in the room. Had, yeah, absolutely. And then what about you know when you talk about agriculture? Uh, we we we've seen the issues with you know restaurants like Wendy's. You know, mm-hmm. interrupted the supply have been interrupted by the supply chain and not being able to get meat uh, to their uh, franchises and and we saw where you know. Uh, the issues with Tyson as well. And so, you know, I think it just kind of depends on where you are in the state, but I certainly think it's completely different. And you look at Jonesboro, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously the hospitals up in Jonesboro surrounded by Arkansas state university, obviously the two, you know, uh, biggest concentrations are going to be, uh, you know, how are we dealing with people uh, that have this? How are we testing? And also what do we do when students are coming back on the campus uh, and, and just a, a few months and so um I, I think everyone is affected similarly but i think the kind of priorities are different in the different areas of the state for sure yeah we're not i mean i think everyone in arkansas is going to have some form of ptsd moving forward into the fall yeah. or 2021 mm-hmm. and beyond but if we're looking at regionalism I, just talking to institutions of higher education we've heard two weeks ago arkansas state university has already announced that they plan on having on-campus instruction in the Mm -hmm. fall versus the U of A is already looking at contingency plans for spring 2021. So there's different discussions on different parts of the state for the exact same scenarios of should we or shouldn't we open up. And I think that those local decisions really will uh, factor in into the local races. Um, There's not going to be a Democrat or Republican plan for reopening. There needs to be a unified Arkansas plan but understandably that local decisions will will probably have to weigh heavily into that because what Northwest Arkansas having a metro area of 500,000 mm. versus Searcy and Newton County, which is a small fraction of that, things are going to look a lot different and you're going to have to speak that language and understand the, the local needs and concerns for, for one reopening the economy, but doing it safely and securely by following state and federal guidelines. Okay. Yeah, you bring up a really, really good point. Uh, you know, when you're talking about, you know, metropolitan area of over 500,000 people and then you go over to Newton County I mean you know Doug there's if you drive up on you know Highway 7 you get into Jasper area you know the Buffalo River Outfitters which is you know that's where everybody goes to uh well it's basically one of two or three places you can go up there and, and rent a canoe and go on the Buffalo well that's shut down yeah you know or it was shut down to a point where you know that was one of the highest trafficked uh times of year when you're talking about spring break on into the spring where you have heavy rainfall so while you know major metropo- metropolitan areas are being affected, you've got these these little towns that you know they, their bread and butter is tourism. And when that's interrupted and shut down, you know how long can some of these businesses last? Uh, and so if you see a resurgence in the fall, I mean you know a lot of 
people feel that that could be the death knell for some of these smaller businesses yeah. uh, because we're still waiting on consumer confidence, the public confidence about, you know, whether or not they're, they're willing to venture out, go to dinner, uh, you know, uh, go to a movie, those sorts of things. So it's really interesting to see how all of that is affecting different parts of our state and in turn, how that mindset will affect voting in November. Dustin, you had mentioned earlier, and this is one thing I want to ask about before we close. You'd mentioned earlier that there's a greater reliance on social media, getting the message out, such as that. Uh, one candidate I talked to, that subject came up, and he's, he replied, yeah, it's, it's nice, it's a way to get the message out, but unfortunately it's something of an echo chamber. It's, you know, not his words, but kind of a, you know, uh, preaching to the choir or, you know, you're, you're perhaps a more accurate analogy, you're giving a sermon to the parishioners of your church already, okay? It's not that he didn't think it was that good for, for finding, to reaching out to other people who weren't so engaged. What do you think about that? Absolutely, it's an echo chamber. I mean, if you read any local news station comment section, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to instantly just be turned off and disgusted, and you're not going to change those individuals' minds. Anybody that's posting in those sections, yeah. their minds are made up. In terms of social media, though, the people are, I mean, if you look at screen times, just yeah. at my own house, my family's screen time has gone up you know, over 150% since uh, pre-COVID conditions, and it there's still a, a great avenue. I mean, I, I've been hosting town halls for Washington County Democrats doing trivia night just for mm-hmm. some social interaction. There's, uh, we did other county uh, nonprofit events where you could do le- guest lectures. Candidates have started turning to town halls, and granted, not everybody's going to tune in, but the more that they see your name, it still hits that point of um, making contact with with the voters and, and knowing that you're out there trying, because I think right now candidates, especially non-incumbents are, are really having a, a, a difficulty of making an introduction who yeah. they are, what, what, what they're doing. And social media is really the, the only platform, whether it's an echo chamber or not, you mm-hmm. just have to keep at, keep at the echoes as much as you can between now and, and November, because honestly that's the only platform outside of a direct mail or, uh, a t- t- a television, which is just often off the plate for any county or state official running for office. Jr., what do you think about that? Uh, I think he's spot on. I mean, I, you know, a lot of what the focus has to be now, um, as we head towards the, as we head towards uh, November, is is obviously you know how do you get your message out now versus what you were doing before all this started. And so we talked about, you know, knocking on doors is out, holding large events uh, are out, just, you know, parades, uh, you know, you know how a, a local candidate's schedule looks like, Doug. It's mm-hmm. basically, you know, got a fish fry this night and you're going to a parade. The next day is a football game. The next day, it's it's just different now. And so what you're seeing is we've got a few of our candidates that are hosting town halls uh, with constituents uh, and, and, you know, ones that aren't incumbents, you know, these are just first time candidates that are running, uh, even challenging some incumbents that are, that are hosting, uh, town halls and talking about economic recovery, uh, and talking about their backgrounds. And so you're seeing that on zoom on fundraising. You know, that's another aspect too, Doug, that instead of it's, instead of renting a room and having people come to you, you know, maybe it's a, a zoom fundraiser, you know, where you're, you're sitting there and, and you're, you're inviting a list of 20, 30 people to get on and just ask you questions. And it's sort of a more of an intimate town hall about 
you know, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. And then you click the donate button, right? And so it's just it's just different than dropping off a check in a vase versus you know um, donating to the <clears throat> excuse me to the actual candidate. Uh, now in the COVID situation, it's just interesting. Yeah, I mean it's it's giving money to somebody that you can't look them in the eye and tell them what you want. It's a bit of a different experience, yes. and and yeah. trying to trying to um, you know. The, the the impression I'm getting, correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, is that it's now more difficult for candidates to fundraise, but in some respects it's more necessary. I mean, walking door to door is time-consuming, but it doesn't cost anything but time. This other stuff y'all are talking about, um, I mean, advertising or direct mail, stuff like that, it costs money. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting dilemma that it's put people into. Gentlemen, I'm I know sorry. I've gotten Go more, more phone calls from candidates recently just doing the cold calling or dialing for dollars, and that's mm-hmm. what we've been preaching for years. If you're going to do it, you got to do it. It's hard to tell people no, even over the phone. Yeah. Granted, now there's more excuses to tell people no, but uh, I've noticed an intake or increase of, of people calling for donations, and I, I gladly will donate anytime I can for the, for the candidates that can take the initiative and, and ask, make the ask. Uh, interestingly, though, on on social media, I, I guess to c- kind of combat the echo chamber, I've noticed, and maybe this is more anecdotally, but mm-hmm. I've started following more uh, members on the other side of the aisle just because I want to make sure that I'm hearing more of a complete picture of what they're experiencing and seeing. And mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't want there to be a one-sided or, or extremely biased perspective on what's, what we're all in, experiencing right now. Yeah. And, and I, I've liked more comments and uh, made more comments on on members on the Republican side on Twitter and Facebook. So I think there is still a, a reason to to engage uh, with social media, and, and I, I can't stress that enough to anybody out there that's running for office that now's the time to really ramp up your social media presence. Yeah, and that Digital gets is, yeah, and that gets back to what you were saying earlier about how you know uh, we're all in the same boat, so to speak, these days. And Doug, you you hit the nail on the head i mean it, you're right you're you're in in a time where it's more difficult to raise money candidates need to raise more money i mean mm-hmm. we had a race in the primary <clears throat> back in march where we had a candidate who got outspent tremendously but he was able to go door to door and and squeezed out a victory and so door to door is a huge part of any local campaign and you're basically stripping that out and so now you have to go digital you have to go to social media and do Facebook ads and make sure you're engaging with uh, not just the ones who are already following your page, right? But you're going out and trying to, to bring more in. And it's just, it's a totally different, uh, you know, game at this point as far mm-hmm. as campaigning goes. And so you're just kind of learning the rules and maybe making up a few as you go. Yeah. I mean, basically, does all, does it, what works? We don't really know yet. Uh, we're going to find out, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's, uh, going to be an interesting, um, there's going to be a whole lot of analysis done after this race. Let's put it that way. Well, gentlemen, and I think it's important. It, it is important for us to have that discussion about the November elections. Cause as we saw yeah. in the Republican primaries this last March, that mm-hmm. some literally some of these house races, Senate races came down to a, a few handful of votes or a few dozen votes. And we, we don't want to see that happen again in the fall. 
Uh, oh yeah, I didn't. We, I didn't mean to imply, Dustin, that it wasn't that it, that it wasn't vital. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, a lot of people are concerned. I just wanted to to stick to the track of of campaigning up to it. And hey, nobody campaigns for anything without the end being in sight. So I do yeah, understand. Right. I do understand. Yeah, that. yeah and I, I do want to just one point mm -hmm. uh, Dustin made. You know, we're talking about November. I know we're focusing on the campaign side of it, but, you know, I think another aspect, too, is, you know, I, I don't disagree that we need to have these conversations now. I think mm -hmm. these conversations are sort of moving. They're kind of being compartmentalized. You know, we talked about uh, the health and testing of our Kansans first. We're still talking about that, but we've kind of transitioned to the economy. Mm -hmm. I think those conversations are uh, are starting. We need to look at November and what, what you know, kind of prepare for what we don't know is going to happen right now. Mm -hmm. We also have to keep in mind that, again, there is a huge logistical strain uh, for absentee ballots for every registered voter in the state of Arkansas to ensure that they are valid, that there's no fraud being done. And also, remember, Doug, with these absentee ballots, we won't know the winner of the November election for days after the fact, and it will open us up to a tremendous amount of litigation. Uh, to challenging these votes. I mean, there's just, again, I'm not saying one way or another, we certainly want to give everybody an opportunity to vote. We just have to look at every aspect of it and we want them to do it safely. We also have to keep in mind that, you know, while some things sound really good, we have to look at the entirety of it uh, to ensure that, you know, we're doing this in a way that's protecting the integrity uh, of our system, but also protecting the public from, you know, what we're experiencing right now. Okay, gentlemen, thank y'all very much for taking Thanks, the time to do this, and I, I appreciate yeah, it. And uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking about this again when this is all over and we can actually have some lessons learned. Take care. Maybe we can do it face-to-face -face next time. <laughs> I hope so, <laughs> even yeah. if we have all to right, wear a safe. mask. <laughs> all right, stay safe, guys. Bye-bye. This is Doug Thompson. You can read more about this subject in an article in Sunday's paper.